Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is editorial illustrator and picture book author, Guy Bio. When a conceptual illustration is done well, it can educate, persuade, challenge, entertain, and comfort us. It can speak volumes in a single moment. Few have done it better than Guy. Among other topics, we talk about how his experiences during World War II and 9-11 are connected. He explains why self-confidence is an essential part of being an editorial illustrator, and Guy tells us what he regrets about being inducted into the Society of Illustrators Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Have you ever done other podcasts? I was doing some research on you and I couldn't find any. No, no, no. Oh, uh, so. I've done lectures or sure. uh, interviews, but uh, no, not, no, no podcast, no. So this is your first podcast? I would say so. Wow. I feel pretty happy about that. I don't know why. Where are you right now? I'm in Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, an hour away from an hour and a half away from New York City. You've been there for a while now, right? Uh, now 20 years almost. Yeah. Wow. And uh, before I was living in Manhattan. Were you always in Manhattan? Like when you came over from France yeah, and from to New York France, in 69, yes. was it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always Manhattan. Where, where in Manhattan? Uh, the, the last, uh, the last place I was at, uh, Battery Park City mm-hmm. and, um, very close to ground zero. And uh, actually, we were evacuated on that day 20 years ago. You were there? Yeah. What was that day like? I mean, what happened? Where, I mean, you were close to that, they, I'll say. Very close. I, I was on the street when the first tower fell down. What did you do? We, we run, 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 and uh, made it just on time before the big cloud covered us so it was very lucky did you made it meaning that we went back to the building where we uh, where we uh, lived as soon as it was destroyed i mean was it um just covered in dust and oh covered with dust yes and um yeah it was like uh, night night i mean uh, when when the, when the big clouds came it was total darkness where were you, where, did you duck into a store? Did you, or you just yeah, kept running north? A, no, no. Uh, which is funny when you when you um, when you see something uh, falling, uh, you go the exact opposite direction to where you see the danger. And if we had been a little more smarter, we would have uh, went uh, uh, on the side to reach the entrance of our building. But instead, we we moved. The opposite direction of the danger, mm-hmm. and we go. We had to go across the building to, to enter to enter the 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 our building. Right. Uh, if, if if I'm making sense, but mm-hmm. it it was interesting experience because you don't think, you just run. That's all you can do. Yeah, and you run exactly opposite to the danger. Yeah, I I actually I wasn't in. I was in New York as well. I was working at Simon and Schuster which is on 49th street and sixth Avenue, 
right mm-hmm. next to Rockefeller Center, right? Right. I remember going to work a little earlier that day. I lived on 85th Street on the Upper East Side. I remember going outside and the, thinking, wow, the sky is crystal clear blue. It was right. a gorgeous morning, right. like gorgeous. Right. And now, even now in the fall, when there are crystal clear blue skies like that, one of my first thoughts goes to 9-11. So anyway, so I'm on 85th Street. It's I'm early and I figure, well, you know what? I'm just going to walk. So I walked through Central Park, down Fifth Avenue to Rockefeller Center, got to work. Half an hour later or whatever it was, we learned that there was a plane that hit a building thinking, well, that's really terrible. You know, it's an, it's a, you know, one of those propeller planes, it's an accident. Mm-hmm. And then it started getting obviously more and more worse. Um, the phones didn't work. So we, my wife and I, my wife was working on 35th street. She wasn't my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend. And, uh, we were emailing back and forth and I ran once the building started falling, like one fell at nine, what is it? Nine seventeen or something. The other one fell in at 10 o'clock or whatever it was. I ran southbound on sixth Avenue. Everyone else was running northbound. It uh-huh. was it was a surreal experience, like out of a zombie movie of some kind. You know what I mean? Um, and what, what, what brought you to go south to pick up my girlfriend at Thirty oh, Fifth right. Street? So I emailed her and I said, "Stay there. I'm going to come and get you." She was yeah. on Thirty Fifth and Sixth. I ran southbound on Sixth, got her. We both walked northbound to Eighty Fifth Street from Thirty Fifth Street, and then obviously watched the news. Many of our friends were stuck in Manhattan because they couldn't, you know, you can't leave. So they all walked. Some of them worked near Battery Park, walked from there to the Upper East Side covered in dust. And one of the things I remember most about it all, not that I want to talk this whole conversation about 9-11 here, is uh, the smell in the air. Mm -hmm. And for months later, both my wife, now my wife, then girlfriend, and I, um, we were clearly, I mean, at the time we didn't know what this was, but we were clearly experiencing high levels of PTSD, you know, oh, just right. constant anxiety and nerves and, right. you know, how did you, I mean, what ultimately, what, when did you get, when were you able to move back into your home? So the police came, um, it was about close to noon, I guess. Uh, they said, you have to leave. So they put them, they put us on the boat, and then we crossed the uh, we crossed to New Jersey, and they dropped us there. We were allowed to return the following Saturday, as you remember, it was on a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, and then on Saturday, we were allowed to return to pick up uh, a few a few items from mm-hmm. the apartment. Um, so to to access that we had to go through ground zero and uh, i saw close up the uh, that incredible scene i mean mm-hmm. it was just uh, as as you know imagining unimaginable right so I, I picked you know but i was so involved with survival that i picked up my 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 tools my drawing tools my compressor my airbrush yeah uh-huh <laughs> and, and and forgot the rest <laughs> It was it was it was strange. I mean, uh, survival, survival. So I yeah. had my the tools that would allow me to still work. That's incredible! <laughs> wow, 
That's yeah. that's an illustrator, folks. Man. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> forget the gun, forget the cannoli, bring the airbrush. Mm-hmm. Yes. Speaking of survival, you were born in, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, Decise? Decise. Yeah, right. France. In yeah. 1941. Yes. So when I think of France and the early 1940s, I can't help but to wonder how did World War II affect the first years of your life? That's a very good question because uh, you were evoking earlier PTSD. uh, uh, And I believe believe that the experience of 9-11 reactivated something that I must have experienced as a baby, which was um, the anxiety of my mother. She was a very anxious woman. Mm -hmm. And we were... uh, uh, especially in 1944, uh, under the bombings from the Allies. Right. So uh, I, I must have heard the bombs. I must have heard the noise. I must have also felt the uh, fear that was palpable. But uh, I have no visual memory of that time. I don't remember the Germans, uh, nor the, uh, the uh, arrival of the Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, the, since 9-11... I react to noises uh, that are unexpected noises. And, uh, and my mistake was to not really address it. I mean, there was, uh, there was some uh, psychological help provided by the, uh, I guess, the government. But uh, I never followed up on this. So it's interesting that you experience the same thing, even though you were not uh, immediately uh, no. close to, uh, to ground zero. My sister-in-law worked at Wall Street. Mm-hmm. She would have been in the building that was directly underneath, uh, I can't remember which tower, um, that morning. But she had a oh. dentist appointment that oh. morning in the oh. Upper West Side. Oh. But my wife and I didn't know that. So um, we obviously thought she was gone. Right. And oh to this God. day, this is 20 years now later, every single time I see an airplane in the air, I think of 9-11 every single time. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just now it's one of those things. Before it was like, uh, the, the year, the couple of years after that, it, you know, you see an airplane and it was really kind yeah. of, um, you got, you get a little like anxiety buzz kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. but now it's like, you see it and you're like, yeah, there's another one. Cause it, I mean, how could you, how could you not, even if you didn't live in New York, how could you, not be affected in some way by that experience. Anyways, um, but back to you, back to the war. So, yeah, I mean, these are the first years of your life. After the war, what was life like? I mean, I assume there was some settle settling of 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 day to day, and it, it turned out to be in France. Uh, I, I do remember a few restrictions, but it was it was mostly peaceful. Right. And then uh, France as a country and Europe as a, as a, as a global was um, we call the 30 years that followed World War II as the uh, 30 Glorieuses, which is literally the glorious 30s, 30 years, yeah. which was when the economy, the economies were thriving uh, uh-huh. incredibly. And there was no problem of, about uh, getting a job. And that's the uh, kind of world I knew when I was a young man looking for a job after 
I, I uh, completed four years in art school. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a job quite easy uh, right. in advertising agencies in Paris. As a, was, as a graphic designer? As a graphic designer, yes. I assume doing page layouts, like what kind of work were you doing? Yeah, uh, and working on uh, on concepts and uh, doing a lot of, um, to sell ideas, we, we did a lot of uh, layouts. No, not layouts, uh, sketches, sketches. And um, uh, I was absolutely clueless about doing some somehow some kind of uh, work as an illustrator. It was just, you know, use pen and magic markers and, uh, and you were doing all these uh, all these sketches to sell concepts and concepts was the key word for me as soon as I entered art school I recognized almost immediately uh, a few artists who were known then for the quality of their ideas mm-hmm. uh, in the 60s uh, posters were quite uh, important in France, and uh, Savignac, first name Raymond, yep. was uh, probably the most famous <clears throat> poster artist, and he was known for the quality of his uh, ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one was André François, an illustrator. Cartoonist, was, right? Yes, cartoonist and illustrator. Yeah. And he was also known for his uh, incredible uh, ideas and concepts. Mm-hmm. And the third one was uh, Ronald Searle. Oh, yeah. Caricaturist. Oh, my gosh, and, yes. Yes. So the, these three people were my heroes. And it was something that was immediate. I mean, I had an, an immediate recognition of something that was crucial for me. Mm-hmm. But you knew, I mean, obviously you knew what illustration was, right? As, an, as a graphic designer in the advertising Firms, not not uh, not really. I, I was more aware of co- uh, comic strips, which I was reading. Uh, uh, the, the most well known was uh, Tintin, of course, yeah, with, with uh, by Hergé mm-hmm. and uh, Spirou by Franquin. Uh, so these were the two main artists that were uh, my 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 first artistic education, really. Sure. Uh, so I was not. So much aware of illustration as not. I was aware of advertising, posters, and comic strips, and cartoons, especially wordless cartoons, those that don't need a caption to uh, to make a point. At what point before 1969 did you decide, maybe I should go and be an illustrator? Or did that happen after you moved to New York? No, no, that's a very important question because um, I had no sense of uh, illustration as a as a profession. I'm, 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 I started to become aware of illustrators because I even hired one for a campaign. Uh, it was not a campaign, actually. It was just a, a series of horoscopes, and uh, mm-hmm. I had an illustrator I knew but I never, I never imagined that I could do that kind of work myself, even though I was doing these catches, as I mentioned earlier. Right. Uh, it was pure accident. Uh, at some point, I, I, uh, I realized that I was not very good as a graphic designer. <laughs> and um, 
uh, I was going to try something else, uh, try something else, not something else. Actually, I was trying to to get out of a uh, a sense of feeling uh, trapped or feeling that I was. Uh, so I decided to come to America as as uh, as. You know, when you're a young man, sure. You, well, did you, you take this kind of? Uh, <laughs> did you fly, or did you take a boat, or did you take a ship? I took a boat. I took a boat, but yeah. I, I want to tell you what happened. Okay. Because I was I was working in a, that had I had an agency, uh-huh. and uh, a friend of mine who was uh, also a graphic designer, uh, when he learned that I was planning to come to America, and to try my luck as a graphic designer. Uh, told me that, uh, you know, you're not so good as a graphic designer. Why don't you try illustration? Because we, we, were, we were exchanging little notes, you know, between people of, uh, sure. of, of, of the same skill, uh, little drawings that we were exchanging and not taking them seriously. But he saw something that I didn't see. And he said, why don't you try to be an illustrator? And he gave me on top of that, an idea because I had no portfolio, I had no, never been published. He said, "Why not you tell the story of your life uh, 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 that would that, that would interest uh, uh, the Americans to know about a Frenchman coming to America?" <laughs> so that's what I did. I did fourteen drawings yep. as a portfolio, mm-hmm. uh, and I I came to New York with a portfolio, two portfolios, my graphic design portfolio and my uh, portfolio of illustrations mm-hmm. and I met Milton Glaser very shortly after I arrived I was arrived in March I, I went to his class invited by a friend he was teaching he was he, he had been teaching at SBA all this time sure. and uh, I went to his class didn't speak I didn't speak a word of English and I showed him uh, the drawings and he said, uh, very good, uh, meet me at uh, New York Magazine, uh, <laughs> where he was the art director then. Sure, yeah. And he published the design a portfolio. Director. Yes, design director. He published a portfolio. The whole thing. Yeah. That was incredible. That does not happen. I mean, I, I know that story. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, a little legendary in a way, because it's, I mean, that doesn't happen. When does you meet an art director for the first time and they look at your portfolio and they publish the whole damn thing? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it was, and and the the, the 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 opening page was "J'arrive à New York." Incredible. So, so that was um, that way the way it started, and uh, I I knew that the, uh, the, the 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 way to 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 survive or to make a living was to contact magazines record companies and ad agencies and that's what i did right and when you he, could do that yes when you could do that because our directors never failed to meet me in person mm-hmm. looking at the portfolio giving me names of other art directors to see yeah um, and that's the way it started so that was 69 that was yep. 50 years ago let's just say more yeah. or less you know not 50 years ago, you're right. You've had the kind of career that would earn one the Hamilton King Award, a Hall of Fame, which we're going to talk about later. 
you've, I mean, to, to sort of shorten your entire career into a sentence, you've done everything for everyone. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, you also taught and teach illustration. I am one of your students. You were? Yes, I was. I oh, man. was, I believe this was senior year at the Rhode Island School of Design, 1999. Or ninety-eight. Oh, oh, uh, 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 the, oh, you were. Oh, yeah. When when uh, I was a guest lecturer. You were a guest lecturer, but you you taught our class for the. Was it the remain? Was it the entire semester, or maybe part of it? I think it was the entire semester. Uh, I, I, well, you you may have a better memory than me, but uh, as far as I know, it was just a one-time shot. Oh my gosh! You know, you could be right, but I remember it being the entire semester. Here's why uh, I bring that up. Uh, because yeah well editorial illustration is one of i mean i i had a career for 20 years as a children's book art director Mm. i had a very failed career as an editorial illustrator it never got off the ground uh i graduated from RISD with an editorial illustration portfolio and never really reached out to art directors or anything right after because i got a job immediately i got a job before i even graduated in publishing as a design assistant as a, as a publisher or no not as a publisher. You know, as a graphic designer oh right i, I wanted to be an illustrator uh, editorial illustrator it just it just never i don't know i just fell more and more in love with picture books and the editorial illustration bug kind of went away and fast forward many years i uh, kept working at my editorial illustration work and uh, uh, sent out postcards and did all the things. And it, you know, some of my stuff got into this, you know, one thing got into the Society of Illustrators, another thing got into the communication arts, but it never really, it never really kicked over, you know. Mm-hmm. But the reason I say this is because everything I know about editorial illustration, maybe not everything, but most things I know about editorial illustration, I learned from you. Huh. And it's interesting that you you said the word concepts was a big word for you because it's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. That's the thing I think I learned most from you was the idea that if you have a good concept, it's not necessarily about the technique, although the technique is important. If you have a good concept, then you would have a much better chance of becoming a full-time editorial illustrator. I'm saying all of this to lead to this question, and that is I, I talk to a lot of illustrators now who want to be editorial illustrators. And we talk about, okay, well, what does it take to be an editorial illustrator? You are one of, you're quite literally a Hall of Famer. Um, I mean, what do you say to your students? What do you say to yourself? How do you think about editorial illustration and what is it? How do you see it? I'm not very good at uh, theorizing about my work or by uh, explaining uh, why this works or this didn't work. I mean, I, I have some ideas, but I can tell you something about my state of mind when I, uh, when I started to meet our directors in 69. Uh, what surprised me then uh, was that I knew that I 
I would come up with ideas. I would come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. And it, it is something difficult to explain because it was a kind of uh, uh, confidence, I, self-confidence I, I, I don't have in the rest of my life. But that was for sure I knew how to solve problems. And, and maybe because of the uh, interest I, I had in, uh, in, in these artists I already mentioned, but I knew I could, I could solve any story. And our directors felt it. They know it. They sense it. Mm-hmm. If you hesitate, if, you, if, you, if, you, uh, if, if you're not sure, they, they go, they're going to decide for you. And I knew that. I knew I was going to get solutions. It was not without pain or without fear right. because... Uh, uh, I was obsessed with the so-called good idea. I mean, uh, I, uh, I, uh, some of my ideas were pretty bad <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just to demonstrate how it is not a guaranteed mm-hmm. outcome. Uh, but I knew, uh, uh, and when an uh, art director would insist about uh, an idea of his own or her own, I would say, yes, but uh, would you mind if I made a counterproposal? And they never said no, never. And my counter-proposals were always better than theirs. So that's the way it worked. But the anxiety attached to the so-called good idea was really tremendous. It was really tremendous. And um, um, it was sometimes agonizing. It could be a few seconds to get an idea, sometimes a few days. Except with an exception, when I was granted total freedom for children's books, for instance, when I wrote the story and mm-hmm. did the, the illustrations, or for the Atlantic Monthly, uh, as you know, I mean, no magazine offers to an, uh, an illustrator to do a, a full page, full color, do whatever you want as a theme. Uh, I had to submit sketches for approval, but I was on my own. And I had no anxiety then, none. Was that once Which a is, week? How often was that frequently? It was It was every every other month because okay. I was in, in alternance with uh, Ed Sorel, who was doing uh, his series with his wife about uh, the encounters of ce- ce- celebrities, you know, uh, yeah. like uh, Chopin and uh, George Sand or right. uh, all these famous people always always encounters of famous people. Yeah, I mean, you, every other month for 24 years, right. you did a full-page so illustration for The Atlantic. Six, six drawings a year, more or less, and that lasted 24 years. So just to be clear, in case anyone missed that, you were allowed to do anything you wanted. I mean, granted, you sent them the sketches and they approved it, right. but basically right. they were like, hey, Guy, give us something every other month. For 24 yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I was going to say it's incredible, but incredible doesn't even cover, doesn't even describe it. Yeah, the, 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 such an assignment doesn't exist by definition. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is offering listeners of the Illustration Department podcast a free trial of premium membership. If you're going to take just one online class, take one with the ID. If you're going to take two online classes, take one with Skillshare. They offer fascinating classes on topics including productivity, freelancing and entrepreneurship, creative writing, and much more. Members of the ID know that I do not like the word perfect. 
It is a word that does not serve us as artists. Let's agree to replace perfect with progress. So practice makes progress. Whatever goal you have in mind, advancing toward it is achievable with short lessons, hands-on projects, and classes you can fit within your schedule. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com ID, where you will get a free trial of premium membership. That's one month free at Skillshare.com ID. Now back to my conversation with Guy Bio. One of the things I remembered, and again, this might now, now I'm kind of doubting my memory here, but one of the things I remember was you were talking to us about your process um, and you sort of mimicked that you had like a little post-it note or a small piece of paper or something. And you were telling us that sometimes when an art director calls you, you are on the phone you, and you're holding up like a pretend phone. And as they talk to you about the concept, you are doodling on a piece of paper. And then once they get off the phone with you, you sent them the sketch, the sketch that you were doodling. Do you remember that? I've done that occasionally. I, I don't remember. Exactly. Uh, what I, I do remember is that at times I would, um, I, I would do a, a little, it was a weekly cartoon for New York Magazine. Uh, they, were, they had a page called Fast Track. And they needed a little vignette uh, mm -hmm. every week, black and white. And, uh, and it was uh, a, a very spontaneous drawing, uh, the kind of doodle you mentioned. I remember once I, uh, I, I was late with the, uh, with the uh, deadline and nothing was ready. And uh, I asked the, uh, in, in those days, you, you use cyclists to deliver artwork. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, it was it was a, a, a man on a bicycle who was carrying the artwork to the magazine. Yeah, so right. I, I called the service mm -hmm. and uh, I had to improvise a, a drawing within 30 minutes. And and uh, and uh, two things were uh, interesting about this little anecdote is that. Under pressure, I was able to come up with an idea. Uh, and uh, the second was that when I tried to refine these very first doodles, you know, very spontaneous, very, very rough, mm -hmm. every time I tried to refine them, they died. Mm -hmm. And I was driven by this notion that uh, uh, I can't be paid. They, they were paying $300 a spot then. Mm -hmm. The to be paid $300 for a doodle that took me a few seconds was somehow <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> so I had to work on it. Yeah. Finally, I, I understood that uh, it, it is not relating to the amount of time you spend on a drawing to deserve your salary. <laughs> right. It's on the idea that you are communicating. Yes. So uh, I, I may have done what you what you refer to. I don't remember exactly, but uh, yes, I, I would doodle. I would doodle uh, constantly. It, it was always the way to to start any problems that you doodle, you doodle, right. and you do a lot of bad doodle before something comes up. And 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 that's what I try to teach my students is that don't try to be so clever about uh, finding an idea just draw just draw one thing will lead to another 
and uh, and that's the way it worked for me. Uh, you 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 draw, you draw, you draw, and something slowly, sometimes quickly, but most of the time slowly, something comes out. You mentioned in an interview that when you are hired by somebody, in, in your words, you said you have to go through the fear of failing to achieve the, quote, perfect solution. Right. And do you feel the fear of failing even now? Do you Have you always felt it? Was it always there? Or was it there sort of early on until you realized, you know what, it's not about the perfect solution. It's just about the good one. You know when you have a good idea. You know it. It's not something you decide it's good. You just feel it. You know it is the solution. Yep. Uh, it's the famous uh, Eureka. That, that yeah. I know. And that's it. That's it. And then there are many more that are just, uh, you know, uh, decent solutions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And time sometimes doesn't allow you to work as with much time as uh, as you 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 wish to have, but um, um, uh, no, I, I had I have I, I keep a box of what I call horrors, which is drawings that I I am embarrassed to look at, uh, and and I, I try to understand why I somehow failed. It's difficult to explain, but I, I can say that. When, I, when I'm granted total freedom, I seldom fail. Mm -hmm. Or I fail, for, uh, I fail for a poor execution, I would say. Right. Never, never for the concept. And I have a, a few pieces of this series, which I consider my best work, which is uh, the work for The Atlantic. Mm -hmm. I have a, a, a few illustrations that are failures but mm -hmm. just just in the rendering just in the execution right. uh, you evoked earlier the uh, the uh, importance of uh, execution uh, or that in, in other words you can have a, a brilliant idea if you don't know how to serve it properly with the right skill uh, it's a moot idea it's an idea that doesn't fly yeah uh, I mean somehow it worked but uh, I, I, I always looked at these pictures with a with that need or compulsion to redo it do you ever do uh, that are you the kind of illustrator that would go back to pieces that were quote finished and mm, redo them or no, rework I them I what i do nowadays because i i, I discovered an instagram about uh, last may and uh, I, I, I go back to some um, rough ideas that I have uh, done over time, and uh, I, I discover them now because I'm looking for material. I look at them and say, oh, my God, uh, why, did I, why didn't I use that idea? <laughs> so I, that's what I do now. I, I look at them, I modify them, uh, improve them, and then I post them on Instagram. And that's a new discovery for me, and uh, it's, it's, it's terribly exciting because I would never reconsider the work or, uh, already done. So yeah, I was going to ask you, like, why keep a box of failures? Why keep a box of drawings that you you know don't work? And you just answer that, you know, because maybe it won't. Maybe something 
doesn't work for you in the moment, but a year from now or a month from now or 10 years from now, you look at it again and go, actually, I think I, I think that works. What I'm discovering is that ideas that uh, didn't, didn't develop fully or de- developed in a way that was a disappointment uh, uh, sometimes can be rescued or can be uh, revitalized. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and my wife tells me that, uh, but what you consider a failure may be uh, interesting for other people. So mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 she, she may have a point. I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of stuff nowadays anyway. But, uh, oh, well, I, then, I, if you're trying to get rid of art, just I'll just give you my address later. And you can just... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll send you a failure. <laughs> oh, please. Are you kidding me? Good Lord. Just Christmas came early. <laughs> So for folks who want to be editorial illustrators, and I know that they're, I mean, the thing with editorial illustration is, is the beauty of it, I think, is that almost anything can apply to an editorial. I mean, almost any style, almost any solution. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is so open to creativity. It's unbelievable. It's fantastic. Right? Yeah. Yeah. With that said, I mean, there are obviously a lot of editorial illustrators who work in different ways and all that stuff. But I mean, what would be what would be your recommendation in terms of you know for folks listening who want to be editorial illustrators? What would be one recommendation for them? Like, how should they think about problem solving? I know there are many ways to approach a problem and solve it, but what would be one way? I, I'm not sure uh, this can be taught. Um, the The only thing I encourage in students mm-hmm. is that self-confidence that you, 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 without which you can't do anything. Otherwise, you're going to end up imitating or obeying. Uh, as I said earlier, art directors have a keen sense of where an artist has that self-confidence or not. And uh, they're going to fill up the gap if 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 if, if you hesitate. Right. Uh, so the only thing I think I contributed to students was to make them build self confidence, to trust what comes up, uh, even if it's not, you know they they are so preoccupied about pleasing, which is understandable, but there, there's something beyond. Uh, for instance, uh, the best way to evaluate a student is to look at their sketchbooks, the the, the book in, in the books in which they draw, without purpose or without demonstrating anything, and uh, they are often surprised when I point out to them that uh, a, a drawing that they don't take seriously, that just did it for fun, is valuable. That uh, it, it, they, they have a hard time to understand that mm-hmm. there's value. In these uh, so-called uh, drawings done for fun, yeah. um, I had a student who was in, in uh, the beginning of my class. Is the kind of student you wonder why she's uh, in my class. I mean, I don't know what uh, what she's going. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I learned over time to never give up on what seems to be at first, quote unquote, a bad drawing. Uh, I would I would look for. Any any clue or detail that could be encouraged, anything that could be 
developed. And with that student specifically, I did that. And somehow she got it. Uh, she, she got encouraged. She got, uh, uh, and, and she developed in, in, a, in, a, in a very fast way. It was one of the most exciting experiences I ever had as a teacher. <laughs> And, and, and she, she was a superb artist, but at first it was not obvious. It was just muddled, uh, uh, confused, or yeah. uh, and, and, and and to me that was one of the most um, one of my best accomplishments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I have a similar experience. One time, many many years ago, I was doing portfolio reviews at a conference and sitting at a table and this person shows up and shows me their portfolio and it's all adobe illustrator very flat like kid-like bubble heads you know sort of style and it wasn't very good it was you know early development process in in her career and we were looking at it and i could just tell she didn't really she wasn't really sold on her own work you know yeah she had her sketchbook with her and i asked her to see it Uh in it there were these beautiful brush pen drawings of kids doing all sorts of fun stuff. Just beautiful <laughs> stuff. Yes. And, I, and I said to her, I was like, what the hell is this? And she's like, oh, that's just my, that's just for fun. That's just my, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I hate to break it to you, man, but this portfolio is trash. That's amazing. <laughs> Get going on that. And she did. And she's to this day, she's, a, she's a working illustrator and that's, that is oh. her direction, her visual direction. Oh, great. great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, That's yeah. Wonderful. It, it, I mean, when that happens, it's, it's, uh, I don't mean to say that in some sort of weird, humble brag way, but it, it's just tremendous when you talk to somebody and you help them yes. see the truth about themselves in a positive way. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Great. The first time I met you was at that time where, in my memory, it's an entire semester. And in reality, it seems like it was just a day, but whatever. <laughs> Um, we meet again in 2016 when you are inducted into the Society of Illustrators Hall of Fame. That year, it was you, Peter DeSev, Marshall Arisman, Rolf Armstrong, William Glackens, Richard Powers, and Beatrix Potter. Right. I accepted the award on behalf of Beatrix Potter because I was the art uh, director for Frederick Warren. So I was, I that, I was that goofball who was cracking all those jokes, bad jokes, I might add. Um, and I remember sitting there, I was sitting next to my wife, Sarah, and I was like, Gibeo is right there. He was my teacher. I should say hi. And I have no <laughs> effing clue why I never said hi to you. Because after, <laughs> afterward, we had dinner or whatever that was upstairs, and I never <laughs> said hi. I don't know why I didn't do that. Anyway, so now I'm saying hi. Hi. Um, how did that, hi. I mean, did that, the stupid question, not stupid, that's not a good word. The obvious question here is like, how did that make you feel being a Hall of Famer? But I I, I don't know about that question. So what is it like to get a phone call from the Society of Illustrators? It's a Nell Miller or whoever it is. And they say, hey, Gee, um, can I talk to you for a second? Listen, um, we're going to induct you into the Hall of Fame. And so are you available on Thursday? What was that call like? I, I don't remember the, the call specifically. Uh, the the uh, try to answer your question. Uh, I, I could say 
when when they made the presentation, if you remember, they they started with Norman Rockwell, and then there is that uh, uh, the name appears on top, and then you have after Norman Rockwell, you have a succession of names that that uh, uh, are displayed in in a in kind of moving perspective as uh, as. Uh, the first name disappeared toward the horizon. You have more names. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Right? So, to, suddenly, I, I became aware that I was a, uh, uh, in, in that tradition, sure. an American tradition, or being part of the American culture. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a sense of uh, belonging, but belonging with a nuance. Um, I am... Uh, <laughs> As an emigre, I am ambivalent by definition. I'm uh, American to some degree, but I'm French first. And uh, I don't know where is my my true loyalty, uh, if I ever had loyalty to anything. (laughs) So, uh, but but I I felt, uh, how can I say, proud? uh, Honored to 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 be included mm-hmm. in, in that in that long list of uh, great artists, uh, yeah. American artists. Um, there's something interesting about being French and being American, uh, or I, I accepted as an American, even though I don't think I am. And I, I think uh, I don't remember what I said during that evening, but I think it was pretty poor. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Uh, I was, I, mean, I was, I don't know. I improvised. I had not written anything, and really? I think it, was, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, it was. Uh, I had a, uh, I was not very proud of myself for improvising. I should have been a little more considerate, but that's the, that's. The, but uh, again, uh, uh, to be to be part of the American uh, tradition is. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the, there was a book uh, by uh, Steve Heller uh, called uh, "Innovators of American Illustration," and uh, I, I, I was part of the book, and, and, and I had the same feeling about that. Oh my God, I'm I'm really part of the American culture. Mm-hmm. I'm part of the American. I'm. It's it's. I'm not very articulate about that, but there, there's something about that. It's about about, about being American <laughs> as as an artist, because I I am truly French. <laughs> well, I mean, that's both cultures have deep, deep, wonderful histories in illustration. Yes. So yes. I mean, you're coming from two cultures of of illustration history and incredibly rich, and obviously a great deal, uh, you know, a big part of that, which I think is an objective statement. Uh, being an American is uh, being, uh, by definition, a mixture. Uh, uh, the, 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 uh, all, these, all these cultures that have come to these shores is, uh, is, is unbelievable, mm-hmm. unique. Yeah, I mean, my own parents. I asked you, why you how you came here, whether it was by plane or by boat, and... It's because my dad came here three years before you did. Probably oh, really? landed in the same, on the same. You, when you landed in Manhattan, uh, 
don't even know if that's the right way of saying it when you're on a ship, but whatever. When it docked, was it on the west side? It was uh, uh, 69 was uh, the end of the of the uh, big ships, and it was an Italian ship, the SS Raffaello. Oh my God! And the Italian line was the only line, only only steamships that were crossing the Atlantic in the middle. It was in March, <laughs> and uh, there, there was no other service. And uh, I. Um, the, the, you remember these two ships, the SS Raffaello, the SS Michelangelo? There were these two beautiful white ships from the Italian line that were um, originated from uh, Genoa. Yep. So the, 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 the ship would leave Genoa, pick up the French passengers in Cannes, in France. It, it, uh, it didn't dock, it just uh, was at a distance from the shore and then uh, a small boat would pick us up and, and and take us to the ship. And then we would go to Napoli to pick up the, uh, the, uh, the true immigrants. I mean, it was incredible. It was like uh, America, America uh, by Alia Kazan. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, Immigrants coming to the ship. The families were on the on the on the dock, yep. and they had these um, how do you call these um, uh, ribbons of uh, colored colored paper. Uh, my wife, <laughs> yeah, help me. Creamers. Oh my so, god! So the 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 the, the passengers on the ship and uh, were linked to their families on the on the dock. Yep. And when the tugboats are moving the ship away, all the Creamers <laughs> broke at once, and uh, and I shared my cabin with uh, with a, uh, a young man about my age who was going to uh, to work as a as a, uh, Detroit Detroit for GM. He was going mm-hmm. to work for the auto industry. So and we arrived one morning. All the ships arrived in New York in the morning, and then we passed the Statue of Liberty, and uh, and uh, and then we uh, we go through custom. Uh, uh, custom uh, yeah. control and, and, right. and everything. So this was after because, like, you you didn't land in Ellis Island; it was already closed. So you landed. It was closed. Uh, yes, uh, directly uh, on the west side. I don't know yes. this on the west side. So yeah. my the the ship my father took. He stayed in steer, steerage because they were poor. He and his oh brother. Um, they were in steerage the entire time. It was a ten day trip. He was picked up in Napoli, and the ship oh, wow. was the SS Michelangelo. Are you kidding? Nope. Oh my God. Three years before you. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Yes, it wow. is incredible. What's That's his amazing. first name of your father? My, uh, Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. That's it. Well, that's a whole other story. I was, I was, oh I was supposed to be named Vito, but um, my father and his father had an argument right around the time I was born. I won't get into how, why, but um, the tradition is that you name your first born born son after your after the paternal father um, uh-huh. the paternal grandfather anyway so i was supposed to be veto after my grandfather but my father and my grandfather were having a bit of an argument right around the time i was born and so instead of naming me after my grandfather which was part of tradition my father named me after himself out of spite for my grandfather oh so that's why i'm giuseppe but that, oh. I mean, the, the, yeah. So I, I have to ask my father now, like when he got onto the ship, were there French, 
there must have been. There must have been French passengers. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but, that's... but because the, the, they were going to pick up passengers in, in Cannes. Yeah. Well, was it Cannes first, then Napoli, or was it Napoli, then Cannes? Yes. Yes. Genoa, the ship was coming from Genoa, yeah. going to Cannes, then to Napoli, Definitely. and then cross the Mediterranean. I wanted to see Gibraltar, but it was dark. That's <laughs> incredible. Well, yeah. um, as much as I want to continue talking, I want to also be respectful of your time. And I think we need to end oh, I'm, it, I'm sadly. Very I'm very glad to have that discussion. I'm, I'm so excited about this coincidence about your, your father uh, coming on. The- I know. I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, why, I why am I ending it now? But um, we should go. So okay. let's – and also this is the Illustration Department podcast, not the you know Immigration Department podcast. So let's uh, let's remember that there are illustrators listening in on this, and many of them do want to be editorial illustrators, or maybe they are now. You know, what would be one piece of advice that you'd want to leave with them? Well, probably not different from what I said earlier about um, about uh, trying to to tap. The uh, what is the most authentic part of yourself, or what is the most honest part of yourself as an artist, beyond the uh, beyond the um, the trends, or beyond what uh, what you think is acceptable. Yeah, to, to the, the example you gave me of this uh, of this this uh, young illustrator that came to you and, uh, and 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 was showing a portfolio that was probably what she felt was. Uh, Acceptable or that was going to be trendy or etc. etc. And when when the real the real work was in a in in her sketchbook is is exemplary. I mean, it's, there's nothing I can add to that as a recommendation. And 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 maybe there's I, I had that self confidence uh, and I don't understand it. I just don't understand what what what, what was the the strength that was within me then mm-hmm. and I don't understand what it is but it was there and uh, that's what probably saved me to see Guy's work visit instagram.com slash g-b-i-l-l-o-u-t if you enjoyed our conversation please share it with your friends subscribe to the podcast and provide a positive rating and review Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.